Kim Schmidt, Managing Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps podcast. In this episode brought to you by Iron Solutions, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC talks with Aaron Fintel of 21st Century Equipment. Casey and Aaron review the B&E Implement Auction, which they watched online. If you're tuning in for the first time, I encourage you to subscribe via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. By subscribing, you are alerted when each upcoming episode is released. Before we turn things over to Casey, a quick word from Iron Solutions, who is making this podcast a reality. Iron Solutions provides dealers with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. Their Iron Search and Iron Guides are all about managing your dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. Casey and Aaron get the conversation going discussing their thoughts on the B&E auction and how 2017 ended, and how both seem to point to a soft bottom for the current downturn in the ag industry. So we watched that auction yesterday, and I was interested in it from the fact that there's such a drought going on in the wheat belt, whether you're Kansas, Texas, Oklahoma, no matter where you're at, it feels like there's a, a giant drought going on. So I was wanting to see how values held up, and... I felt like overall there was a fairly good, I wouldn't say that I was shocked by anything, but I wasn't let down by anything either. So I feel like there was a, a pretty good sample of stuff that happened there. So what's your opinion here? Yeah, I would I would echo your statement on that. N- nothing shocked me and for sure nothing was a disappointment. If anything, I was surprised in the strong values more than anything. If I was to tie a thought or emotion to the results of it, I would say surprised at the strong number. Well, I was the one thing that I, I that struck me, and, and you and I talked about this right after the auction was the eight R's and stuff that had four and five thousand hours on them, and, and how strong those numbers were comparatively to what to what we saw. You know, even what we had list what we have in our inventory that we we're having a hard time getting rid of, and, and what was selling down there. So I, I was pleasantly surprised by by that value. I was I was real. I was kind of concerned with what was going to happen there, but I think overall those those uh, those tractors are pretty strong. Well, not and and not only just those, but like five six thousand hour thirty series. You know, yeah. my goodness, that that would tell me those tractors bringing that much in that location with that. You know, of course they're not hard of cotton, and cotton's been one of the few bright things in in American agriculture lately, but. And those tractors in that location with current prices and drought and all that stuff, there is a, that that yesterday would tell you just from that window to look at, that there is a big gap in the world in that specific tractor. Higher hour 30 series, you know, that I was, I would have guessed 20 grand, 20 grand below where they're at. Right. Well, that, that too. And then, you know, we talked about it when when you and I, you and I and Zach were all on on this last time that how auctions come together and every once in a while there's like a the perfect climate comes together and you have this amazing sell right. Um, I'm not right. there and say this was an amazing sell by any means, but think about this if this if this same situation was happening with this auction and you had the wheat in the condition that it was and cotton was still sixty fifty five sixty cents a, a pound. What how how bad would that auction probably have been? It would have been probably a wreck. But with yeah. plus cent cotton, that was really the one thing that saved it. And no one's planted any cotton yet, so 
they don't have to worry about it coming up. So they're Brandon said on the, on the previous podcast, they're still gin and cotton down there. So they're still getting, they're still waiting for payment. So. Well, yeah, I know. I've seen on numerous social media outlets, there's guys still stripping, you know, stripper cotton yeah. in Oklahoma and Texas. Guys are still out getting it. And it's almost February. Yeah. So it's. But it, I also know talking to guys, you know, I've talked to quite a few guys from Oklahoma and Kansas here the last two weeks, say, and they're, everybody's like, you know, we grew cotton years ago and we quit and planted some last year and worked out okay so they're kind of like pinning their ears back toward cotton so yeah well being from the very southern edge of kansas along the oklahoma border for the longest time was kind of hit or miss as, as far as what cotton was and it was a big deal in the mid 90s probably all the way up till like the you know probably 95 to 99 there were guys that were traditional row crop guys that did nothing about cotton you know what i mean that, that was really their their right their bread and butter and that kind of fizzled out in uh, in the early, probably early two thousands, and and now cotton now it was it was pretty much just a rotational crop that guys still grow because there's a cotton gin close by, you know what I mean? And and there's yep. still kind of feeding that stuff in Oklahoma, and there's I think there might be one out in Western Kansas, South Press, someplace I think, but yeah, there is. That's still feeding that, and you know guys right now are looking at three dollar wheat still. They're still looking at or not three dollar wheat, but cheap wheat still in the threes and you know we're still looking at, at corn the way it is and and soybeans the way they are um if you can step out and get a lick on cotton then you're going to be all right well you know that's funny that we're sitting here talking about that era and i remember seeing you know when i was myself in central to southern kansas there in the late 90s there was you know a fair amount of it down in that part of the world and being the tractor geek I was, I can remember in the 90s looking at fast light and stuff and substantial amount of cotton equipment, especially in the southwest quadrant of the state. Yeah. You know, what What, what did you have in the, you know, 95, 96 was pretty good, pretty good price years of corn, but by the time you got to 98, corn was like $1.75, yeah. you know. Then from that moment until... When was it, 13, 12 or 13? You know, every damn year it ticked up, ticked up, ticked up a little bit. And then in the, what, mid-2000s, you had the, the big ethanol push, and it jumped up, and then it stayed there. And then it ticked up, ticked up, ticked up, and then it jumped up again, and then it fell flat ass out of bed. And during that slow and steady climb, you know, everybody kind of jumped out of it and went back to the corn world, and now corn's falling out of bed on its face and embarrassed itself in front of all its friends and <laughs> back into cotton. So, Well, so I think what you're describing there is it's a, uh, a very cyclical business that we're in. Things come and go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because I can remember, you know, one of my first, first years doing the wholesale thing would have been like 2010. And everybody and their dog down south was, we, we, we need 12 row 30 inch planters to plant corn. We're going to plant a bunch of corn. We're going to plant a bunch of corn. And there was, guys were jumping on them things everywhere they could get them, you know. 12 row 30, 17, 20s were going, sold tons of them, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, just, you know, East Texas, where, where get, those guys are traditional corn guys. And, I don't keep track of price of cotton, but I think it was bad enough that they jumped on that corn boat, bull feet, you know, let's roll. And conversely, 
especially here in the last year, you know, the, the CS690 and the CP690, John Deere picker and stripper bale module pickers, mm-hmm. or cotton harvesters, both the stripper and the picker, were like the hottest thing in America. Yeah. And case in point right there, that's your that's your cyclical thing. It's not like Corn Belt where your, your difference year to year is the percentage of your rotation. Not, well, hey, let's, you know, especially you look at, you know, say Corn Belt, even the northern, say northern half of the Wheat Belt, which I don't know if that's a real thing, but it's what I call Texas you know, up through Nebraska, the Dakotas, into Canada, that north and south strip. And, you know, even the north half of that or the Corn Belt, so to speak, there's not a hell of a lot of options in rotation, whereas, you know, you got your your cotton region guys, they can sprinkle that in if it's it's good. And then you go southeast of that, and they can go hog wild on carrots if they want. So, Right. So this this auction that we watched yesterday – coupled with what we saw happen at the end of the year. Um, hey, real quick, you know what was not on that auction yesterday? Uh, a combine. I thought you were going to say gator. No, there was gators on there. There was not a combine on that yesterday. It is very odd. There wasn't any on- dealer. No, there wasn't. Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't any harvesting equipment on that on that auction. There was yeah, there wasn't a 6600 there wasn't an f690 there was nothing i'll take that back there were some heads there were some combine heads that were on there but yeah there were some heads but there's no combine the last time you saw a dealer auction without a combine on it i don't know that i ever have yeah <laughs> that was a first well, whereas there's probably some dealer auctions where they're like yeah we should put one tractor on there at least yeah yeah let's take our 25 so that was I'm up in two with one tractor yeah <laughs> exactly exactly so so that was that was kind of neat i was pondering that last night driving down the road that hey there was not not a single combine on that deal so when you uh saw what happened in the year you saw what happened yesterday how do you think that's going to affect the overall marketplace moving forward i feel like to use a casey seymour trademark term I, there's just more and more evidence of the hashtag soft bottom out there in the industry. And in fact, you know, going back to say even the beginning of 17 and now it feels like maybe that bottom isn't so soft. Maybe it just is, you know, if you want to create a trend, if you will, there's data to support. Listen to me. I sound, I sound really smart. Sorry, everyone. There's data to support from, if you look at, say, January 17 to January 18, uh-huh. dare I say it, an uptick. Yeah, there's an uptick, but it's it's very... It's minuscule, but it's a freaking uptick. It ain't like it. It ain't like it going down. Well, the uptick, okay, so if you take, if you do the side-by-side comparison of your, of your data points here you're trying to make, if you say, okay, the auction data uptick versus the... The downtick in overall supply of equipment on the internet, I bet they mirror each other, which is the from the beginning of 2016 through the end of 2017, that line, that trend line between all those pieces of equipment was going down as far as what's listed on the internet was absolutely going down. You'd still have to pedal a bike to go down the hill, right? 
um, you're not going to coast down that hill. But and I would say and it depends on how fast you want to go and how much your tires are aired up. You would still have to pedal your bike pretty. What hard. kind of bike it is? How big the wheels are? How much the rider weighs? It would be well. The more you weigh and the more aired up your tires are, the 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 uh, the, the more that allows the force to carry you down the hill. So you would go faster. There you go. That's why when I'm downhill on a bike, it looks like a rocket. That is true. I've seen that. So what you're saying is there's less items listed just in general, not picking on anything, but less items in general listed today than a year ago, which is having an impact on values. Right. And that, that, cor- that correlation, what I'm saying is a correlation between the downward trend and overall inventories that you see, whether it's – I, there's four that I look at, combines, planters, sprayers, and tractors over 175 horsepower those those four right there are what i really pay attention to the most i should start throwing in 100 horsepower to 175 horsepower tractors in that mix as well but um those four do i really pay attention to and every one of those have a downward trend line from from january 1 of 2016. um downward trend meaning less less available in the marketplace now if you probably did if you flip that and said all right we're gonna do that same trend line uh, from January 1, 2016 through the end of 2017, auction value-wise, I would bet you would see a the same level of increase in, in auction values that you would see as a comparative to each, each trend line. Whether you're like the same, you're talking like the same degree. Yeah. Off of auction value is going to be coming up at the same rate right. as the other ones cross is going down. So we're uh, we're seeing some of that stuff, but and what's driving that marketplace? Late and low model equipment that there's not much of. Trying to find right. something right now with 500 or 1,000 hours on it is a bit of a struggle. You know what I mean? It's out there, but you just got to find it, right? So, well, even, yeah, especially when you get, especially when you get even to split that even more in the 300 or less. Well, yeah. That true. That is, it's out there, but good Lord, you're going to pay for it. We'll get back to Casey and Aaron in a moment, but first a quick word from the company who made this podcast possible. Iron Solutions has deep roots in the ag industry with products for producers, dealers, manufacturers, ag retailers, and service providers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com to see solutions that streamline your operations, improve productivity, reduce costs, and speed your growth. Casey and Aaron started things off by reviewing the B&E equipment auction. They then switched gears slightly and discussed what the market did at the end of 2017. They also talk about how overall there's been a downward trend in inventories versus a year ago and its impacting values. Now here's Casey with a quick message about moving iron. Hello, I'm Casey Seymour, and I want to thank Farm Equipment Magazine for partnering with me to bring you the Farm Equipment Podcast Series, Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmap. The podcasts are taken from my weekly podcast, Moving Iron Podcast. Moving Iron Podcast is a podcast designed for ag equipment dealers by ag equipment dealers. The weekly podcast focuses on current events and trends across the ag equipment marketplace in North America. Along with dealers, I interview the biggest names in the ag industry. Chip Nellinger of Blue Reef Ag and Marketing is a regular guest talking about commodity markets and risk management. You can also hear guests like Greg Machinery Pete Peterson and Tyne Morgan of the U.S. Farm Report. If you are in the ag equipment business or have an interest in the ag equipment business, this is a must listen for you. You can find the podcast at movingironllc.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. Also at movingironllc.com, you can find information on the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of Moving Iron Podcast, and articles from the Moving Iron blog. 
Throughout the year, there will be guest bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view. You can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, or you can find me on LinkedIn. And if you would like, you can send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Thanks, Casey. Let's get back to the program now and listen in as Casey and Aaron talk about the replacement cycle and how farmers who are buying equipment now aren't doing it because they want to, they're doing it out of necessity. They also explore the possibility and challenges of three or four different dealers in an area getting together for one big spring planting and tillage auction. Next week, I'm going to talk with a couple guys from down south. They're going to kind of see the same thing. They've had two or three rather large auctions they are going to swing through there and talk with those guys about that same thing. But long term, and, and you look out on your horizon and, and with the guys you talk to on Twitter and the guys you talk to on Facebook and, and, and just your everyday conversation that you have, do you see anything out there that, that you would say are going is going to change your uh, direction when it comes to auction values, stabilizing, and maybe start showing a, an upward tick? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think there is, other than what we just talked about, that there's flat to a slight uptick currently, and I don't see anything that's going to detract that or change that. Um, I don't see anything making it skyrocket up, but I don't see anything for sure making the very slightest, slightest uptick that's existing. I don't see anything changing that either. There's still demand for equipment and not necessarily late model low hour. There's demand for stuff across the board. I mean, there's the right guy. Oh yeah. Guys are looking for a deal. Right. Well, the guys are also looking at upgrading what they have. And some guys upgrade. Think about some of these guys. I talked to a, a dealer today on the phone who is talking with a customer right now who bought all brand new stuff in 2013 and hasn't done a single thing, hasn't bought a single piece of equipment since 2013 of any kind. Right. Okay. So that guy's got, he'll have his fifth or sixth season, depending on when he, when he bought that gun that got delivered on that stuff that's coming to him. So he's, he's probably due. You know what I mean? Like he's probably due to, to look at doing some upgrading on whether it's maybe getting a new combine or run the tractors he's got or, or, uh, you know, I don't know the guy's scenario or situation, but, you know, that's what we're that's what we're faced with, and that's what we're going to continue to see. I mean, like I've said, oh, yeah. guys are not upgrading their equipment because they they want to, it's because they have to, and they're yep. how all that's going to affect their cash flow. And moving forward, that's going to keep driving the marketplace. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, so here we are. We're almost to the end of January. Uh, we've got about what six, seven days left in the month, and we are going to be in pretty hot and heavy in full getting ready for planting mode across the country. So guys in Texas will be planting here uh, end of March. So middle of March, something like that. And some guys are probably actually gearing up here for first part of February, mid part of February in the extreme Southern part of the United States, like along the Gulf and all that kind of stuff. So right. um, that, that always kind of stirs up some stuff that, that uh, April, March, April, May time frame, there's always seems to be uh, another pretty good slug of auctions that go through. So guys you talk to, things you see happening, um, do you the groups you've talked with, anything like that? Do you feel like there's going to be any 
drive to to maybe see some larger spring options, maybe some retirement sales or something like that going into those those three months of the year? You know, I I don't have you know anything factual as far as anybody saying, well, we're looking at doing that or well, we're looking at doing that, but you know, for the last couple years, and it, it's a it's a bleak scenario, I know, but I know there's been some decent sized spring auctions that were kind of a last minute. I tried at like five different banks and nobody can float it and that's it. I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that again uh, this year. You know, another thing, and this is something that we talked about when Zach was on here, I would, I'm a little surprised that there isn't a three, four dealers get together and have a spring focused auction. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like a planter tillage auction. Yeah. Um, and typically, you know, you don't have enough dollars or pieces of that kind of thing to, even if you're a, you know, big dealer like us to have your own. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of surprised something like that doesn't exist yet. Um, you know, they, it, it makes sense to me if you had three or four bigger dealer groups kind of bring all your stuff together and, you know, your, your planning equipment, tillage equipment, you're having a little bit of trouble with, you've kicked the can down the road long enough and now it's time. I would think someday something like that would happen. I'm really surprised it hasn't yet, but I think, I think that'd be kind of a, kind of a neat deal. Now the kicker to that would be, and we just talked about this yesterday, you and I, how, gross and bleak the planner world was five years ago even shit even three four years ago and now it's like can't get enough planners right so that would have an impact on it but even even there still you know we we've gotten some planners through wholesale channels here in the last couple months but we still have planners that are aged yeah we still have, what's what's your what's your thought on the everybody come together and do a do a spring fling type of deal? Oh, I, mean, I think if you had like four neighboring dealers or something like that, where they all had a had a common uh, like area responsibilities that connected to each other, um, right? It would make great sense because you're going to have you're going to draw on every customer to to do to get rid of the stuff that you need to get with. I don't think it'll ever happen because the only dealers are willing to, to cooperate with each other that much. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I mean they all they all play nice when they have to, but at the end of the day, I, mean, I just don't I don't really see that ever happening. Um yeah, exactly. I mean it's a great I think it like you said, I think it's a great idea and it would be if we took our dealerships that we had and everyone kinda came together and said, all right, we're gonna have a I mean they would fight over what town you had it in. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, you know, absolutely, absolutely. There, there would be no like, there's no neutral area that would be good enough for each, for each other. So I don't, I mean, I think it's a great idea, and it would be a smart idea to bring, especially in like like areas. You know what I mean? Like a fire dealership is, is as long as it stretches, you know, from north to south. If you had the southern part of our territory and the people and the dealerships that we butt up next to, and those kind of things all kind of come together, they all have like farming practices. You know what I mean? So it right. it'd be, it'd be, it'd make great sense, but I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't know how many guys would actually work together to make that happen. 
Um, that would be that would be an enormous. I guess I didn't think of that. And in my role, that should have been the first thing I thought of. That would be an enormous political undertaking. No, it'd be huge. <laughs> yeah, it'd be. It would take a lot, dude. I mean, even if you had it at like a, a, a place where they have a, a monthly auction, and that's, you're just going to have it there. It would still be some reason why you couldn't have it there. You know what I mean? Right. I think I think what's going to say what you might see there if you did something like that, maybe an online thing, you know, like a yeah. I deal. that was going through my head as we were talking about the politics of that whole deal. You put you list five or six people stuff together, but it's all at their lot, and then they just do it online. That would probably work. You'd probably get more yeah. to do that than you would the other way. Cat Cat Auctions used to did that. That's how that whole thing got started. I don't even know if it's even around anymore or not, but it might have got bought by an iron planet, but. You know, 10 years ago or whatever it was now that when I worked for the cat dealer back in Wichita, they started that and that was what that was. It was cat dealers all came together and made their own auction company. And they were, you know, selling their their iron through through that, that deal there. So, I mean, it's definitely possible. It's definitely something that could happen. And you could easily have something like that happen. And it, But it was an online thing. You know what I mean? It was, yeah, and see, and there's nothing wrong with the online thing. And I know... Big Iron has always done that. You know, they've always had like a hay-focused auction and a harvest-focused auction and a planting-focused auction. They're pretty good with that. But I think as we talk about auctions that impress us, every damn one of them is an on-site dog and pony show. Yeah, I mean, that's that will always continue to be a... Well, in, in the ag community, that's a... It has been for ever, you know. The, it's an event. It's an event. Everyone goes to the local auction whenever there's one. Whether they're going to buy something or not, they're going to go there and do whatever it is they, you know, talk to whoever they want to talk to. And You know, it's almost like, what's another, think of this, this deal, this just popped into my head. So we know this is golden knowledge. This is going to be a nugget, folks. Pay attention. Yeah, it's a pen and paper. The, uh, what, what's something that happens typically in the fall, especially in the baskets in the fall, that is a big dog and pony show for farm machinery. Farm show, right? Yeah, yeah. An auction is kind of like a farm show that you get to take shit home. Well, yeah, you get more than your... That is why the... I think that is why the event part of it is such a big deal. But I think that's starting to change, though. I mean, I think generationally, you're going to start seeing that change. Um, yeah, you still have guys that are showing up to go to the auction and buy stuff and do that kind of thing. I think when the next generation comes in and, and they start looking at auction stuff like that, I don't know how many of them are, are all that. I mean, I think if they had their choice between watching a, a Richie Brothers auction or a Sullivan brother or Sullivan auctioneers um, auction or something like that um, online, well, just look what happens to those auction crowds when, when they waive the online bidding fee. You know, they go from being – on especially in the middle of winter, they go from having 800 people there to having 200 people there and, and 800 people online. You know what I mean? So that that online presence is growing. Now you can you can argue whether whether or not that uh, the people there would go home and and if they lived within a 50 mile radius, would they go home and bid online? I don't know, but I think the old, the younger generation is is going to be more in in tune to just being like I'm just going to bid out online. I'm gonna watch I think you're. I think you're right, and a lot of that is, you know, the world we live in. 
totally non-formulated, it seems so much. There's always something going on somewhere that you got to be at, chasing kids around to their stuff. Right. You know, or you're involved in this organization and shit, I'd like to be at that auction. I can't make it, but I'll be on my phone. Well, think you about know, that, that type of deal. So think of it from this, from this angle though, too. If you are, if you're 20 years old in your lifetime is the only time that you really have ever been able to bid on an auction. If you're, if you're 40 years old or even 50 years old, the first half of your life, you couldn't bid on an auction online. Right. You know? Right. So if you're a 20 something year old kid coming out of college or even a 30 year old kid that's, that's been out of college for 10 years and you're transitioning into be a decision maker on, on the farm, most of your life, you've been buying stuff online and, and yeah. bidding stuff online or eBay or whatever it was that you first cut your teeth on bidding something online with it, you know? So again, it's a generational thing. And when that, when the, the current decision-making generation has turned the reins over to whomever, they're going to turn those over to that generation coming in is really comfortable about buying stuff online, bidding online. Well, yeah. And I think it depends on, on you're a hundred percent right. It is generational. I do, you know, I'm 39 years old and I do a boatload of shit online. And my reasoning is time. Right. So I don't have time to run over here and do this and do that, and do this where I can click, 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 done. Right. You know, big time. But as far as the, so, so I think you're totally right, but I also think the event aspect of it is still a big draw, even for, I mean, yeah. even for the under 40 crowd. Well, yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, the event portion of that will always be a, a bigger thing, but think about this. If you're a serious buyer and you're really seriously ready to buy a, whatever full drive common, whatever it is, and you have an auction in your town that's got $6 million of iron on it. And then there's four or five other ones going on at the same time that have the same amount of iron, but they all have combines that you're looking for or four-wheel drive that you're looking for. They all have those on there. You can, you can bid those, all of those at the same time. You might walk away with six more than you want, but you know, you, you could theoretically be watching all these different auctions go and, and bid those things all from the comfort of your home and save the uh, two hour drive time back and forth. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of the, in a small town America, when you have these bigger auctions and stuff like that, that take place, it is a community event. I mean, everyone in the community comes that's, you know, shows up, bankers show up, the, the farm guys show up, the whomever show up and it's a big deal. And then the neighboring, you know, folks all come in too and they get their, right. their if it's a Sullivan deal, they get their free, whatever, you know, whatever they're serving that day. And, and they're right. Everyone's happy and, and they, and they go on, but some auction companies make it a, make it an event. You know what I mean? They the night before is a whole dog and pony show. The day of is a whole dog and pony show. I mean, I think it really depends on who the auction company is and what they do as far as your market. Well, yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. I just think, and I just think that has a bigger impact than maybe some people think. Yeah, but no, I don't think it does. I mean, like uh, Sinclair Tractor Auction, that's a good example of that. That was an event, man. There's $12 million worth of equipment there, 10, whatever it was. Right, exactly. So well, they were. Yeah. Okay. And we were talking about it with Zach, Zach last week. Yeah. The difference in crowd with the two SEMA auctions. Okay. Yeah. In 16, it was their first one. 
had a lot more stuff on it. Weather was a little bit nicer. Tons of people. Right. This year, less of a crowd, but it was also less machinery. It was the second time they'd done it. You know, the event, it was still, you know, theoretically an event, but it was far less of an event than it was the first year. Then, what you're saying, I think, comes into play. Like, in Rochester, Minnesota, it's 15 degrees. Mm, I think I'm going to look online on this one. (laughs) Right. That, too, though, the first time they had that sale in 2016, um, every, every auction that was of any magnitude was an event because it was it was like watching gladiators fight in the arena. Some someone was gonna shed a lot of blood. And that was right. the talk of the town. And well fortunately for them, both times they did okay, I would assume. Right. Based on what I saw. Right. So that that was that kind of stuff drives that a lot too. But it'll be interesting. I mean I'm I'm watching that more and more. That trend line of total not like yesterday when we could see on the internet, I mean it looked like there was quite a few people there watching that auction. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh. And there hasn't there hasn't been much for you know, most of your dealer auctions are from here east through the corn belt. Right. There hasn't been a lot down in that country. Yeah. So the event aspect of it was in effect and I think the event aspect of it is what prop values up. Yep. But I look at that a little biasly, too, because I am a fan of the Dog and Pony show. Yeah. So. I I enjoy it, too. But there are some days when it's I'm out there in my bib overalls and my freaking coat and hat and gloves and everything else. going like, man, this has been a lot better just to watch this online. But, you know. Oh, absolutely. I I like the Dog and Pony show at, like, 60 degrees at least. (laughs) (laughs) But all that being said, I mean, when you do go to those auctions and you get a chance to talk to, you know, all the all the buyers that show up, the other dealers that show up, um, the wholesale guys that show up, you gain a perspective of what's going on, what they're seeing happen in their area because they're all from different spots. You know what I mean? So you get, right. you get a, you know, when you watch one guy bid up a machine and you're like, what in the world is he going to do with that? When he, I mean, what? What's he doing? And he's mm-hmm. 30 grand higher than you are, but he's in wherever Michigan, you know, or Indiana or whatever he's doing, that particular unit obviously must have some play there because, or he wouldn't be doing that. Right. You know what I mean? A professional buyer wouldn't be doing that. Unless you right. You would hope so anyway. So. Which then makes you think, I hope we can get one traded for really right. Right. I know where it's going. I know, I know a guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think we've kind of covered it here on the kind of auction segment we saw happen yesterday, how we think that's going to affect things going forward. Anything you want to say before we shut her down? You know, I can't really think of anything. I, it's going to be interesting to see how, say from now to the end of March, next two months, how, how things kind of go. And at least in my channels, there's some, there's still some pretty good interest and it's legitimate interest. And I'm expecting, expecting, I'm not going to say good things or impressive things, but acceptable things. Yeah, and I think moisture is going to play a big part more than it's had in any any other year this year. Um, yeah. It's dry already in the south. You're talking about dryness over in um, drought situations that are creeping into the corn belt, eastern corn belt, and 
So it'll be interesting to see how that, that happen, what happens there. Now, no one's in a big frenzy right now because no one's getting ready to plant anything. But, you know, come right. uh, March, April, we'll start, we'll start hearing about it, and that'll start shaping the marketplace. Well, and then it'll turn into what last year was. Right. Yeah. Two wet when we planted, two dry when it's growing. Oh, look, record yield. Awesome. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the last three seasons in a row when it came to planting, we started out dry, and then it got we got a year's worth of rain in two weeks, and then yep. it went dry again. So it'll be. So what, what really needs to happen is then boys in Chicago need to just, you know, let's focus on only bad news for a while here and right. push everything up and we'll just go with that deal. What was a Let's shake on it. Talk show. I listened to one time. The guy was like, you know, droughts are awesome except for when it happens at your farm. So right. that's exactly right. <laughs> hopefully we, hopefully it doesn't happen at our farm. So we'll see how it goes from there. Thanks, Casey and Aaron. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this podcast, we're also tapping into Casey's expertise across all our informational channels, including an Ask the Expert feature on our website where you can ask him your questions directly. Check it out at farm-equipment.com backslash asktheexpert. Thanks once again to Iron Solutions for sponsoring this series. Iron Solutions provides dealers like you with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. The Iron Search and Iron Guide suite of solutions is all about managing each dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your used equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. We hope you'll tune in with us for our next episode when Casey talks with Terry Levinka from Levinka Equipment. For Casey and Aaron, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.